Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. Today we are discussing the role of Children's Aid Society in divorce and separation cases. And some of you might think, well, that's a different can of worms. And it sort of is, but it also dovetails with people who are splitting up and divorcing. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. So let's kick this off, first of all, by explaining that there is some fancy language that we lawyers use when describing cases involving separating people versus cases involving children's aid. The language, generally speaking, is if it's a case between two spouses, whether they are opposite sex, same sex, whether they're married, whether they're common law, whether they've been previously married or married for the first time, those cases are generally called domestic cases. Whereas cases involving a children's aid society are generally called child protection cases because it is a case that involves the state protecting the child, sometimes from their own parents, if you could believe it. And so in cases involving Children's Aid Society, the CAS is actually monitoring the parents or the guardians of the child because they may not be receiving the appropriate level of care by their parents or their guardians. And in some cases, the parents who are splitting up are together the defendants in a CAS case. So it could be CAS against mom and dad, and mom and dad are not even on the same page. And so we have to first understand the difference in how we frame these cases. Now, let's talk about some real life situations. Leanne, uh, no doubt you've had cases that are domestic cases that involve a CAS. So let's let's hear from you on what what would that look like? Um, well, I've had a few cases where CAS has been involved. Um, you know, in a, a typical one, um, you know, quite often it, it tends to be a higher conflict type of case. Um, and there might be allegations of abuse against both one of the spouses, um, you know, for, for instance, the, the wife or the mother, and also the children. So I've seen cases where the CAS is involved because the mother um, has made allegations of abuse, which, you know, very well may be true, uh, involving herself and maybe the police were even involved in a charge or something there. But then the children are also afraid of the father. Um, and don't want to necessarily spend time with the father and the father might be making some sort of allegation of parental alienation because a lot of times abuse and parental alienation cases kind of go hand in hand. Um, and so the CAS will often be involved in, in that type of case and, and, and both parents may be contacting them and you know saying things about what's going on at the other parent's home. Um, so I have seen that. I've also seen cases where um, there was, you know, an allegation of child abuse uh, against, you know, one of the parents. And uh, so CAS was involved um, in terms of, um, 
you know, ensuring that there was, you know, proper measures in place, like whether it's supervised access or something like that um, for the parent who uh, perhaps was charged with, uh, you know, child abuse by the police. So I've seen it in those types of cases as well. There's lots of others. I'm sure you have some examples as well. So, uh, yeah, those are all very common situations that we see. Um, so, you know, mainly for the benefit of our viewers, Leanne and I mainly work in the field of domestic family law. We mainly work in the side where we represent one spouse that is involved in a separation or divorce. Um, there are lawyers, in fact, very, very good lawyers who do most of their work representing parents who have cases with a children's aid society. And in fact, it's a specific court called the Ontario Court of Justice in Toronto that primarily deals with cases where a children's aid society is taking action as against one or both parents. Um, and so Leanne and I don't really do that kind of work. We only sort of get involved in it when it's part of our cases or it becomes part of our cases through the work that we do. With that said, I want the viewers to understand that there are different levels of CAS involvement. Level one is the one that you, Leanne, just mentioned, which is where one parent reports the other parent to Children's Aid Society. And Children's Aid Society, much like a police department, they don't have the option of disregarding a call because it's seemingly um, uh, an exaggeration or doesn't have legal foundation or factual foundation. CAS has a duty, much like the police, to investigate a complaint. So CAS may very well um, call the other parent, visit the other parent, visit the child, interview the child in order to ensure that the child is safe. And again, the word safe does not just refer to physical safety. It could be mental. It could be emotional. It could be psychological safety because um, abuse takes all forms. Sometimes the non-physical is worse than the physical abuse, depending on the child. Now, so there could be a low level of CAS involvement, i.e. a complaint made, a complaint investigated, and then a complaint closed. Oftentimes, we actually, most of the time, see it closed because on the domestic side, which is what Leanne and I do, it's not uncommon for people to try to use CAS to gain an upper hand in the divorce by claiming to CAS that the other parent is verbally, physically, mentally abusive. CAS looks into it. And most of the time, they don't report back and saying, yes, it's confirmed that there is abuse. Most of the time, what I see, or what I've seen anyway, is that CS says, there's a high level of conflict between these two spouses, and they need to have their issues resolved, but they all have lawyers, or they're going to go see a lawyer, or they're going to go see a mediator, or they're in family court, and it should be dealt with there. We're keeping our file open to see that everything is okay, or we're closing our file until there's a new occurrence. So that's normally what happens. But in some cases, in some cases, there are there is a concern by CAS and they they don't close their case. They either monitor it or they go one step further. They ask the parents to engage in therapeutic interventions 
whether it's counseling or, or drug therapy or them getting the proper medications for whatever it is that they're dealing with or ensuring that the children are properly cared for. And they monitor it. And in some cases, they ask the parents to sign a, a voluntary service agreement whereby the parents voluntarily agree to work with CAS. And so now they're bound by it. And if the parent violates the VSA, then they go to the next level, which could be court intervention, where they actually ask a judge to make an order against the parents, either for a supervision order or worst case scenario, they actually will apprehend the children mm -hmm. and place them either with another family member or a foster parent or a foster home or a home for children that need temporary care. So that explains the various levels of escalation. And so back to that, I'm going to ask you, Leanne, a question. In cases where a person, a client says to you, you know, my ex is doing X, Y, Z, and I think it's abuse. Uh, and the conversation occurs, should I call CAS or should I not? How do, how do those conversations go in, in your situation? Um, those, are, those are conversations that happen, you know, quite often. I've certainly had client situations where those types of conversations have come up. And my advice to the client in that type of situation is going to be very fact specific to the situation at hand. Um, you know, it comes down to whether, you know, the, the child or children, whether their safety is really being endangered and and as steve touched upon i mean that could, doesn't just mean physical safety it could mean emotional um you know as well um but if there's a situation where you know the, let's say a child comes back from a visit with the other parent or time with the other parent and they have marks on their body for example not not a you know it's unfortunately it's not as uncommon as i would like it to be but you know those types of situations happen i mean so, you know, a client calls me up and says, you know, Johnny came back from seeing his dad and has some marks on his body. Should I call CAS? And, you know, my response to that would be, you need to get some more information first. I mean, Johnny could have innocently fallen. I mean, you know, as parents, we all know children do have accidents. Um, and, you know, sometimes children have accidents, you know, because maybe we didn't have our eye on them quite as closely as we should have. And, and that's just something that happens probably to every parent, you know, at some point. And, you know, and then hopefully if there's an accident, it's just something minor. But, um, you know, you need to flesh out what actually happened. And, you know, if, the, if it's a situation where Johnny's coming back and saying, you know, that daddy you know, um, whacked him, you know, with a baseball bat or something. That's a pretty extreme example, but, you know, something like that. Or if there's burn marks and daddy, you know, ran my foot under scalding water because he was up, because it was a punishment because I, you know, wouldn't eat my dinner or, you know, things like that. You have to flesh out what actually happened uh, to determine whether it is appropriate to call the children's aid or not. And the flip side of it is, is in cases where there's allegations of parental alienation going on, it can be tricky because if, you know, the party who's being accused of that keeps calling the Children's Aid Society with more and more things that could possibly feed into the argument of the other side. So you really have to, you know, look at the, the specific facts that are going on. And 
You know, one thing with the, with the children's aid that, um, you know, people need to be aware of is, you know, they're not out there to take children, like, like even though they have the power to, you know, take children away from their parents in, in, in actuality, it's a, it's a power that um, is a very high standard before they can actually do something like that. And as a parent, you know, we're, it's recognized, we're going to make some mistakes. As a parent, if you have a, something, say you have an addiction problem or, you know, something like that, if you're, if you're doing things to deal with it, then, and the children's aid can see that you're doing things to deal with it, then that's going to go a lot farther than if you're, you know, in denial. But meanwhile, there's all these, you know, you've got, you keep getting charged with drunk driving and there's, you know, witnesses saying you were drunk here at the school or, you know, things like that. So a big part of it is showing that you're taking steps. And one thing just unrelated to your question, Steve, but that I wanted to touch upon, because I don't think everyone knows this, is that if you um, are a victim of domestic violence and you call the police um, because something's happened, um, the police are mandated to let the Children's Aid Society know. So even if your children weren't present when an assault happened or when a threat happened, um, maybe they were in their bedrooms asleep, they didn't hear anything as far as you know, they didn't see it happen, the police are still obligated if there's children in the home to to report, or not the police, yeah, the police are still are obligated to report to the Children's Aid if there's a child in the home. So you can expect a call from the Children's Aid. And their main concern is that you as the victim of domestic violence are taking steps to protect yourself and to protect the children emotionally because there you know there's a lot of research that even if the children aren't being um, physically abused in that type of situation but they're they're one of their parents is it can be emotionally damaging to the children emotionally harmful so the children's aid does have an interest in that so if you're leaving your other spouse and you've hired a family lawyer and you're taking steps you know, that will be enough, enough to satisfy the children's aid that you are doing what you need to do to protect that child. But if you keep going back and you keep having, you know, there keeps being further abuse on you and further abuse, the, the children's aid may then get concerned. They're going to be concerned about the abuser, but they're also going to be concerned about you and why you're not taking any steps to leave the situation and, and protect the child. Because the Children's Aid Society expects parents to be responsible and the responsible parent would not allow a child to continue to be exposed to violence and for this to go on by way of repeated events in a pattern. And patterning is really important. It's nothing, it's really completely excusable when a child falls off a swing or a bike hurts themselves. CAS is not looking to apprehend a child for a parent that looked the other way when a child fell off a bike or a swing. However, if this child continues to have burn marks, continues to have bruises, continues to have broken bones, now we're catching a pattern of irresponsibility to the point where maybe next time it's not another bruise or a burn. Maybe next time this child may not make it. And that's where CAS steps in. Now, what I want to say before we wrap up is that we lawyers are always in a very precarious situation when someone comes to us and says, this is what's going on. Should I call CAS? Do we want to be the lawyer that says, no, 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 no. Don't call CAS because then it's going to look like you are the boy that cried wolf and it's going to come back to bite you. Or do we want to be the lawyer that says, call CAS? CS investigates it and says, this was a false complaint. 
Um, do we want to be the lawyer that says, don't call CAS, and God forbid something horrible happens to this child? So we lawyers are in a very difficult situation. And so I've sadly been in that situation too many times where a parent says to me, this is what's going on. And who am I to measure the gravity, the severity, the intensity, the frequency, the imminence of the threat? So what I've done in that situation is I have strategically placed the burden of screening, of triage, on a health professional under Ontario law. If a teacher, a counselor, a doctor, a nurse has reason to believe that a child is at risk, they have a duty to report. So what I've told my clients in situations where I'm not sure, I say, take the child to the family doctor, to the pediatrician, to a walk-in clinic if you don't have one, possibly even to a hospital, and say to the health professional, if it's a doctor or a nurse, that the child has uh, shared some information with me and I'm concerned, but I'm gonna step out of the room. I'm gonna be in reception over there and I'm gonna let you interview the child and you be the one that decides, first of all, what's going on whether this is a concern and whether this concern needs to be addressed in any way without necessarily even mentioning Children's Aid Society. And if the doctor or the nurse or the teacher say, oh, I've learned of information and I've made a call to Children's Aid Society, then it's no longer the person who brought the child and the parent who is making the, making the allegation or raising the concern, that person probably will not be held responsible for calling Children's Aid Society, that was left in the hands of a professional. Now, there's another benefit from doing that. The other benefit is the interview notes of the doctor or the nurse or the teacher is gonna be evidence that is seen as being independent. That's reason number two. Reason number three is if the CAS gets a call from a doctor, a counselor, a teacher, a nurse, their receptiveness to the concern is different than if it's coming from a parent who's going through a divorce. Because a parent going through a divorce, one of the first questions they're gonna say is, um, why didn't you speak to the other parent? Oh, we're splitting up. Or, and we're in family court. Or I have a lawyer, he has a lawyer, or she has a lawyer. Right away, that is um, measured differently in their triage notes. And so there are many reasons why, if there needs to be the involvement of CAS, let it come through the involvement of a doctor, a nurse, a teacher, or a counselor, who all have a duty to report any concerns they have to a CAS. And if, if I could just add on to that, I think it's important that people remember as well that um, there's very specific trained ways to interview children and you know when there is an allegation of um you know a criminal offense or an allegation of abuse and whatnot and you know most people don't you know they don't have the training so you know as a parent you, you don't know what the right way to interview a child is where you're not going to be accused of influencing them or planting seeds whereas all of these professionals who are mandated reporters 
they have training in how to interview a child and, and ask the right questions without, you know, being accused of influence. So that's another reason why their notes and their, their interview is really persuasive and really important because it, it's coming with that training that is so helpful. The good news is we live in a world in Ontario where there is this agency called Children's Aid Society. And not only does it exist, it exists for almost every individual population. It exists for people that are Catholic. It exists for people that are non-denominational. It exists for people that are native. It exists for people that are Jewish. And all of these various groups have their own distinctly different cultural or religious um, children's aid society that services them. And so that's issue number one which is something that we should be very proud of as Ontarians. Issue number two is that the um, children that are in need of help have multiple services available to them. And most of the CASs, all of the CASs, when they do get involved, they're all about solutions. They're all about finding the right therapeutic intervention. And God forbid, should a child seriously be in need of protection by the state, they're there. And you can't say that about every jurisdiction in the world. So we've got an agency and multiple agencies that are there to protect children where and if they need to be protected, given their own cultural identity. And that is something that makes me proud to be Canadian and an Ontarian because children are vulnerable. And they are vulnerable even sometimes in the care of their own parents. And we have agencies in Ontario that are there to ensure that they are safe. And that's, that's, the, that's the good news about what we're talking about today. Yeah, I agree. I I think that's very well said and I think it is it's the CAS I think is in a tough job they get a lot of criticism at times but they do things right more often than not and we're very fortunate to have them uh, in our society and so Leanne you're off for another trip I hope you enjoy yourself I hope you come back with all the bars on your iPhone fully recharged um, I myself am finishing this week trial number two oh, in gosh. three weeks I had a two-week trial that ended with closing arguments on Monday. I started trial number two on Tuesday morning. Um, in the middle of trial number one, I had an appearance before the Court of Appeal, whereby um, a trial that I had last year um, became the subject of an appeal. And um, But we won the trial and we won the appeal. Oh, fabulous. Uh, in the trial decision, I have to say, quite proud of the work that we did. The trial judge granted my client cost of $950,000. Wow. Then went to the Court of Appeal. The three-judge panel of the Court of Appeal dismissed the appeal and ordered the other side to pay my client $80,000 in costs of the appeal. So now we're just uh, north of a million dollars in costs that we are now going to collect. Um, but yes, I too, like Leanne, need my batteries recharged <laughs> so i will be away for the next few weeks so we will see everybody back at uh divorce explained with leanne townsend and steve benmore in a couple of weeks enjoy your vacation you as well bye, thank bye you everybody bye everybody
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.